0: To the Newberry Tart Podcast, your hosts Marcy and Jenny are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. Hi, and welcome back to the Newberry Tart Podcast. I'm Marcy, and I'm Jenny. And tonight we're going to talk about the 1971 Newberry Honor Book, "Sing Down the Moon" by Scott O'Dell. We're drinking a peach gin fizz, which we'll talk about later. But in the meantime, we have a citation to tell you a little bit more about the
1: book. This is a review from Kirkus Review. If bright morning were to show her pleasure in the rivers running, the new spring signal to take the sheep up to the mesa, or if her people were to shed tears on the long walk into captivity, the gods would be displeased. With the same dignity and reserve, Mr. O'Dell makes of her story the Navajo epic of dispossession and endurance. She has a foretaste of captivity as a servant in a Spanish town and in mute hostility resists her mistress' overtures. Escaping with two others, she's joined by tall boy, haughty as always, who is injured by a Spanish bullet and will no longer be able to pull a bowstring or throw a lance. Will he no longer be acceptable as a husband? Then developments come like drops of water. (laughs) The Long Knives, the American soldiers, tell them they must leave the canyon. They go into the high country to await the soldiers' departure. But day after day sees the erosion of their hopes until their hogans and cornfields destroyed. The very trees stripped of nourishing bark they try to break away.
0: So that citation is very dry.
1: Except for the drops of water. The drops of water. So did you like this book, Marcy?
0: Yes and no. No. I feel like often when we're talking about books, I say, okay, this book is super readable. It's hard to put down. It's a good story in that sense, but there are all these problematic things, right? But this book feels like the opposite. So for me, it is not very readable. It was a little bit of a slog, even though it's very short. It's like 120 pages. I did not particularly enjoy the reading of it the way that I do with a lot of books, but... I was really, really pleased with a lot of the story elements and the plot elements and like a lot of places where normally I would say, okay, this is a dude writing. So there's some slightly misogynist tones or there's this or there's that. There's none of that. I would call it vaguely feminist. I would call it very practical. Like all of the places where the society that she's in are kind of misogynist. It's presented not in a This is just like, here's a feminist view of this. It's like in a very uh, clear-eyed, kind of very dry presentation that lets you see where the dudes are being dumb. But not in a way where they're like, the dudes are dumb. You're just like, you're reading it and you're like, oh, those dudes are dumb. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) It's not heavy-handed. The women in the story are presented in such a way as to be true to the cultural norms of the time, but also not blind sheep, which is nice. I guess what I'm trying to say is that when I was reading it, I was very impressed by the characterization of real people, even though I didn't find the book super readable.
1: So I had the experience of reading this and initially being surprised because with my background of being a white person i think um i was like oh there's nothing super offensive in this there's like nothing there's no talk about skin about skin tone which i was really surprised by because i feel like that's such a go-to reductive thing that authors do and did a lot more of i think feel like in the past especially during this time period um when you compare it to something like sign of the beaver, you get, you get a bigger sense of, you get a bigger sense of like bright morning and her family and her village as people rather than just these figures that appear out of the woods and are wearing loincloths and we don't understand them. So I initially was actually kind of heartened that There seemed to be a fairly not, I mean, not comprehensive and not authentic, but pretty inoffensive presentation of a Native American girl. Um, And an
0: an understanding of the various tribes.
1: Yes. Which is nice. Yes. Because they're
0: not just like, it was an Indian
1: yeah so yeah so initially there were there were like distinctions uh, between the different tribes there were there were a lot of things that made me feel like oh wow this is a lot different than I thought it would be but the more I started reading after and thinking about it after the more it just rings as kind of tone deaf, even though there's nothing overtly offensive to me as a white person. Initially, it just starts to read as, okay, so there's this giant historical horrible thing that happened to the Navajo called the, you know, the long walk, they're forced from their homes Mm -hmm. and they're taken to this place. That's basically a barren landscape and made to live on that land. And, looking back in retrospect the story reads like it was just kind of an obstacle that happened like it just doesn't have a lot of weight to it when i start thinking about it and when i've read i read my read betters that i have for it when i read those i was like oh this is actually this is what it's like reading about this event in america's history through the eyes of people who are related to people who maybe went through that experience or it, well, okay. it just lacks, it lacks an authenticity that I would think for something so huge and such a big, horrible thing, it, it just, it, it lacks a lot of details. It lacks a lot of historical context.
0: So my main, okay so I have some significant criticisms of this book. And one of them is that uh, the language that he uses and the way he writes um, does feel a little reductive because I feel like he's taking on a sort of a stereotypical tone of the way that the Native Americans speak in a very like simple, uh, you know, Hemingway-esque like this thing happened, then that thing happened, then this thing happened. Like very simple words in a way that feels, like, stereotypical of the American portrayal of Native Americans. And I think what's difficult for that for me is that when I was reading Island of the Blue Dolphins, which is his most well-known book, he did use a very similar syntax and a very similar writing style, and it worked very well in that. But I think it's because the Native Americans in that book were – Uh, like California Islanders, right? And it was not your stereotypical desert named tribe of Navajo, like Native Americans in this cowboyish part of American history that just feels so cliched. And this book was written 10 years after Island of the Blue Dolphins. So I feel like it would be more authentic to use a more um, sophisticated syntax at that time
1: yeah i mean bright morning she is a huge part of her family family's like you know survival she gets married she has a child but her voice never evolves
0: no she stays this like very juvenile 15 year old throughout the entire story And maybe she was a very sophisticated fifteen-year-old to start with, but like she has this extremely simplistic lifestyle and a very simplistic tone, and it just reads like the noble Native American,
1: just super cliche. Well, and um, if you listen to Sign of the Beaver, it shouldn't be a surprise that I went and looked up um, some. uh, I looked up some other resources um so debbie reese's dr debbie reese's american indians and children's literature website of course is really excellent this is from a 2013 review of another author's book helen frost salt um by beverly slapen um and she starts the the review telling the story about they uh, facilitated a workshop about evaluating children's books about indian peoples with teachers and some of them were um Navajo and some were white. It it sounds like Navajo. It, um, you can also, or now they're often referred to as Dene or Diné. I need to look that up. Um, and at one point they brought out the worst historical fictions of their collection and Sing Down the Moon came out. And m- most of them agreed that they would not have this in their classroom. But then a Dene elder who works specifically with Nene Dine- young people Reluctant readers, said that each year she purchases a new purchases a new class set of saying Down the Moon because it's the first book her actually get ex- her students actually get excited about, and everyone was really astonished. They were like, you know what? And then she said, after a f- several beats, that she brings the book into her classroom, starts reading it aloud, and she said the reaction is almost immediate all the students start laughing. Oh, geez. Yeah. And um, and it's basically in disbelief that the book about their people could be this bad. And, and so like the students say things like in response to the book, like we'd never leave our sheep in a storm. This isn't how our ceremonies go. We don't talk like this. And they reach for the book again and again, just laughing and laughing and laughing. And so – Whereas I read in some regards, uh, Scott O'Dell's approach and I read initially as kind of a neutral or kind of less offensive approach toward this character and this historical event, like people from this group are looking at it as like, like, it's just hysterical to them because it's so inaccurate. And so it makes me wonder what kind of research he actually did for this well
0: so this is a problem for me like like inauthentic authors like no matter how well researched you are not a part of that group right so he did he did prevent or he did present this story which a lot of people may not have heard i guess and he did it in a relatively inoffensive way in general like it's not racist it's not condescending. It's just that no matter how well you research it, if it's not a part of your cultural heritage, you may inevitably just have these vast inaccuracies and just never have any idea. And it can be a great story. But then somebody from the inside of that group reads it and it's just ridiculous.
1: Well, because you fill in the blanks with what you know. Right. Um, and your
0: editors are probably also white and they're just like, sure, this is a great story that reads perfectly well. You don't Of course
1: know. they did this with Bark. Of course they did this with Tree. You know, like by him writing about Bright Morning, he basically is writing a fantasy about a real person and a real event. Right. So and he's that's, ma- that's, he's, that's not good. He's
0: making up the rules for someone who already has their own rules. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's not, that's not something that I think is... I mean, obviously now through the lens of of today in 2019, that's not okay.
0: Well, there are lots of reasons that it probably would not be published. And one of them for me is that it's such a disjointed story. So when I started reading it, and for those of you who haven't read it, it's basically this girl living this idyllic life as a sheep herder for her family, like fairly wealthy,
1: and, the, and there are peaches that's why we pick the drink even though the drink is like kind of super happy-ish and that's not
0: yeah so basically like this culture that they live in it's this beautiful sunny little valley where they grow peaches and they herd sheep and that's their life and it's wonderful and it's beautiful she gets kidnapped to be a slave escapes and then comes back just in time for her village to basically get burned down and for them to get forced on the long walk But somehow when you're reading it, it comes across as like separate stories. So the kidnapping story, I was expecting to be the whole book. It had a very like calico captive feel. If you've read that book by Elizabeth George Spear.
1: I haven't read it, but I'm aware of it.
0: Um, In that story, well, we can talk about that with the read betters, but it has a very calico captive feel and it, that is enough to occupy an entire book, but it's about, a third of the book, and then the other two thirds of the book are an entirely different story, and it just meanders. Right? It doesn't have the urgency that I I connect to Scott O'Dell. Like, this is I, I hate I hate to call this one of his lesser known books because it's clearly a Newberry honor. It's not a small book, but it there's a reason why he's famous for Island of the Blue Dolphins and not for this and then when you're reading it you're just it's you don't know where it's going and you don't know why and the way it wraps up is very ambiguous and it's just strange well
1: and also i i mean i would say at the time a lot of native native authors were not being given any kind of platform yeah. so he probably was seen as a champion for giving a voice to those that aren't writing these books, which we all know that people in time memoriam of all stripes, genders, backgrounds have been writing. It's just who gets published, right? Who's, who has the power to get published? So, so at this time he was an anomaly, right? Writing these books, representing these unheard voices. Um, and I just think that's so sad. (laughs) And I, I often think about what else is out there that just hasn't never saw the light of day that was was authentic and represented. And
0: he's and he's considered very authentic because he grew up in well, California and he wrote I mean, in the in the days where like his family drove a horse and buggy, you know, like that long ago and San Francisco was a little town.
1: Well he was born in eighteen ninety
0: eight. Yeah. And so he writes mostly historical fiction about California and Mexico, which is relatively authentic for him. It's just that he was not part of the groups that he was writing about. So it and feels I almost, a little nitpicky
1: yeah. at this point
0: to say that he's not authentic, but there's no way to ignore it.
1: No, I don't think it's nitpicky. I mean, he obviously isn't a, a, a Navajo, young Navajo girl. No. I don't think that's nitpicky. I think that it's just a shame that There wasn't a Navajo writer during that time period whose work was being showcased that would have had a lot more insight and a lot more, um, not just authenticity, but a lot more just information that was correct.
0: You know? You just think about, like, a lot of the people who write historical fiction might write, say, like, historical fiction about the Holocaust, and they're like, my uncle was in. Auschwitz or, you know, Bergen belsen or something, and they have all these sort of anecdotal things to go back on, and it just creates layers that make the story more authentic. Had a Navajo person from the same place as Scott O'Dell written this story, like they would be like, Oh yeah, this was my grandmother's sister. Here are all the family stories, and it just adds this like patina of authenticity to it that makes the story so much more compelling to read, even though there's not really a good way to quantify that.
1: Mm-hmm. well, and this is such a such a horrifying event, right? Mm. and such a huge event and to have this this just very brief, almost pretty and stylized view of it i I can't help but just kind of chafe against that now, I mean, like like I said when I was first reading it and when I first read it, I was just relieved that I wasn't reading about skin tones and hair, you know,
0: braves and squaws. Yeah. I yeah. mean,
1: like I was really relieved by that. And then once I had time to think about it and read more about it from, you know, from some native scholars, um, some people who may not be uh, American Indian, but have worked, you know, on the scholarship for a long time. Then I started to realize, oh, it's not, a, you know, I mean, I know this innately, but in the scenario of this book, just being like excited that it wasn't overtly like tokenizing. Yeah. um, I started to realize the context and realize that uh, there's a lot of things that are really questionable, upsetting, not correct, that kind of thing.
0: It's hard too because you've got this like scale, right? And on the scale of what is available, this is on the better end.
1: For that time period.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And par- I mean, sometimes even for now, really.
1: Uh, I would disagree with you on that.
0: Well, I mean, there's just, there's more available now, but there's not a lot.
1: There's more and more. And it's just a matter of really pushing and spotlighting authentic- authenticity, um, giving people platforms that maybe traditionally wouldn't have them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's still not maybe, it's still, well, it still isn't. I mean, the statistics have just come out all- I'll put them in the show notes. Um, There still isn't like equity and representation in picture books of like with children. Oh yeah. no. Um, There's more animals represented than there are children of color or any specific children type of any specific background other than white. Um, So there's still a ways to go, but there are, there are resources and there's there's people that are gathering these lists and publishing these authors and um, giving platforms to much-deserving authentic voices. Um,
0: I agree. But if we're talking about whether we would recommend this book or not.
1: No. For, no for you? No.
0: I would say yes, just because like like some stories, like I would prefer that people read the story of what happened rather than not. And by someone who is – not authentic but not offensive is better than nothing, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, if this particular story were available by a Native American person, obviously that would be preferable. Obviously. But in lieu of that, I would still say that this is a worthwhile book.
1: I respectfully disagree. That's fair. Um, I think particularly with the amount of time that's gone by um, – I think it's okay to just lay this to rest
0: we're gonna have a very interesting talk about the little house books
1: (laughs) are we gonna come to blows
0: we'll have to sit on opposite sides of the table
1: we already do but like with a
0: divider (laughs) so you
1: can just see each other's eyes (laughs) so i have two read betters and um they're by uh native american authors Unfortunately, I did not find one written by a Navajo Dene. So the first one is a uh, like a middle grade picture book by Joseph Brukak, who's one of my favorite authors. He's an Abenaki, um, and it's called Navajo Long Walk: Tragic Story, the tragic story of a proud people's forced march from their homeland. Um, and so it is exactly what it sounds like. It's a nonfiction book. It's a picture book. It has illustrations in it. Um, it's a factual account of the long walk. So I would definitely recommend this if you want to know actual facts about the walk. Scott O'Dell got Redondo right. Mm-hmm. He got the, the um, canyon that they came from right. Um, but there were a lot of things that he left out, a lot of things. So this fills in a lot of those gaps. And then there's another one um, by Tim Tingle, who's Choctaw, And it's called Danny Black Goat, Navajo Prisoner. Um, And it is about a young boy, Danny Black Goat, who um, is Navajo, set in 1864. Um, Soldiers come and they burn down his home and kill his sheep and capture his family. He has to go on the long walk. He's branded a troublemaker. And then he ends up at Fort Davis, Texas, a Civil War outpost. So it's, it's... it just has a very different type of character. Um, it has a character that is much more aware of the oppression, and is not just trying to survive, but also is um, bucking the system, which I really appreciate. So, like I said, that's the first in his uh, in the series of Danny Blackcoat. I think there's two or three other books. Um, so those are my read betters.
0: Mine are maybe not necessarily read better, but just sort of similarities. I I always kind of go back to the Little House books, even though I realize that they are super problematic. Within that context, I think in children's literature, this is maybe the only other time I've heard a reference to the Native Americans being driven out of their homes, which is in uh, Little House on the Prairie, I believe. And I know you haven't read them, but there's a point where they have built a new home which is within what's called Indian territory. And the Indians and the Native Americans in that story are being driven out in a path immediately in front of their home. So they've got this big empty prairie, right? And the people are being forced to march in a straight line from horizon to horizon. Like you can't see the end of either line. And she's little. She's maybe like, I don't know, 10. And she's just watching them walk and walk and walk and nobody's rebelling. And she is overcome when she sees this little, this little baby Native American in a little, what do you you call the backboard? And it's eyes, like she sees its eyes and she wants the baby, right? So she has a tantrum where she's screaming at her dad that she wants the baby and she knows it's crazy, but she can't stop. And her dad is like, stop it. Like that woman wants her baby. like. <laughs> but she has this like crazy moment. And I think it's just like the emotion of it overcoming her because they're also very resentful because they're very shortly driven out of that area themselves. But even within like the super problematic context of that book – And the fact that this is only one scene in that whole book, I still felt more emotionally connected to the drama and the tragedy of that whole situation in that than I did in this entire book. So that is one of mine. And then the other one is Calico Captive by Elizabeth George Spear, who's another Newbery author. And in that story, it is a white colonial family who's attacked by Native Americans and kidnapped and forced to march all the way to Canada. And that, to me, it might not even be as well-researched, but um, one, again, it's written in a more compelling way, so you feel more emotionally connected to the story. And then the character in the story is white, and the author is white, and so it feels more authentic because she's going from a biased to a less biased perspective on Native American culture throughout the book. So like she's admitting that she knows nothing and she's biased and she's racist because that's what she's coming from. And then she gets to the point where she almost decides to stay. You know what I mean? Like it just feels more authentic because she's admitting that she is coming from an outsider's perspective.
1: So that's actually, I was thinking about that as much as I didn't like sign of the beaver I felt like it was more honest because it was the point of view of a white character written by a white author, right? Like they're and not so, pretending to be inside. Yeah, and so that it's, uh, but it's kind of like either or, right? Right, it's kind of <laughs> like like both sides of the apple have like wormholes in them, you know. <laughs>
0: so nothing is perfect, but I'm trying to think of like the best examples that I can of. Native American children's lit- children's literature from before, maybe the past 20 years. So that's what I came up with. As far as like the current climate, it is very difficult for me not to relate this book to what's happening just politically in this country now, Native American or not. I mean, people are basically being driven into concentration camps and it's horrible.
1: I think that might be one of the reasons why I'm not showing this book a lot of mercy too. Yeah. Because writing not only a different ethnicity or uh, cultural background than yourself, a different gender, a different age, but also writing a character that's surviving this particular, like a particular horrific historical event and not having a lot of gravitas to it, I just don't
0: It feels like it deserves more. Yeah. At this point, reading or listening to the news gives you this story in a different permutation, but with more, I don't know, it's not, it doesn't feel serious enough.
1: I want better for the real people who had to endure that. And I want better for Bright Morning, who really could have been a powerful symbol, a powerful voice in the right hands.
0: And I think it's meant to be a happy ending, but it's not. Yeah. It's just sad.
1: They go back to her, her the original valley.
0: And they find her sheep. They're still there.
1: They find her sheep.
0: She has a healthy baby. They're super hairy. <laughs> the sheep are super hairy, not the baby.
1: Um, and then they <laughs> live in this, like, hidden part of the canyon.
0: But then it ends, and you're like, well, they're going to come kick them out again.
1: Yeah. Or worse. Yeah. And I, I think the trading the reality of the situation for a nice ending is upsetting too
0: right because maybe he was trying to make a point by making that ending be sort of poignant but it it just feels sad
1: well because we know what happened which is nothing good right um so let's talk about the drink it's a peach gin fizz it's a very happy drink and Uh, juxtaposed to this book um, and that was not intentional. Uh, We just had a lot of peaches on hand and um, there are peaches in the book and we needed to make something with the peaches. So what did you think of the drink?
0: We used a recipe from a website called fruitcake.com F-R-E-U-T cake.com which was okay but I personally felt it was a lot better uh, when spiked with more gin.
1: I um had to mask the gin with more peach juice. (laughs) And that's probably why I felt like I was drinking, not the contents of a fancy perfume bottle, but like if someone got finished with the perfume and then put some soda in it (laughs) and then I was drinking it, it was like just, it was like too, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like an echo of a taste of sweetness.
0: I think that, uh, well, the recipe is a little ambiguous. The basic concept is good. It's a uh, peach simple syrup, which we made from scratch, and then a little bit of sugar, a little bit of gin, um, and some club soda, garnished with a peach slice and um, some blueberries. And I think it needed to be a lot colder. So had we done it through a shaker and or with ice cold ingredients to start with, I think it would have been better. Mm. And I personally like the taste of gin, so. I uh, I liked more of that sort of herbal note rather than less, but um, it was okay. I would I would tweak it and drink it again. For me, it was very sweet.
1: Yeah, like I said, it was like it it, it wasn't enough. Like of, oh yeah, it wasn't enough of one thing. Yeah. for me, um, it was just like the remnants, the washed out remnants of something. It just didn't quite do it for me.
0: Now. I also have a snack going over here. I've got some manchego cheese, which appropriately enough is a sheep's milk cheese. And with that, it was much better. Um, I think that the sweet and fruit, especially when I just started eating the the gin-soaked <laughs> blueberries and peaches, went very well with the cheese. But that was um, just a nice uh, unexpected benefit. I feel like
1: if you were to kiss Miss Piggy, <laughs> this is what she would taste like. Hmm. I don't like know. perfume, fruit, kind of a kind of like a a new felt smell taste. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to be tonguing Miss Piggy anytime <laughs> soon, but I feel like there's a good chance that she would uh, she would taste like this peach gin fizz. Hmm.
0: I could see her drinking this.
1: Yeah, that's maybe that's why yeah. she she'd be down in it. Also, um, wasn't
0: really that fizzy.
1: No that was a lie. The fizziness was a lie. Yeah. Um so just as an end note before we do our closing, I would like to say anyone who's listening that has books that they want to recommend on this event, The Long Walk, books by uh by American Indian authors, um particularly Navajo, Dene, Diné, um please please send us those titles. Please yes. message Ema- us. Email
0: us. Uh- Tarts at newberrytart.com, N-E-W-B-E-R-Y, tart.com, mm-hmm. where you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, anywhere. Just mm-hmm. send us a picture of the cover. We would be thrilled to find it.
1: And also, I mean, I fully recognize that I am a, a white lady um, and I have my own experience. I do my best to uh, analyze things in in a way that um, challenges things that have been considered normal in the past. But I know I have blind spots. Um, Please let us know if we got something wrong, we mispronounced something, we got a fact wrong about this, anything. Um, We'd love to have some kind of conversation. Well, we'd love to have a conversation with you guys about native representation and old books written by old white people or dead white people Um, We'd love to hear your thoughts about uh, any and all of this stuff. So, of course, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Please rate and review us on whatever platform you're listening. Thanks for listening. Bye.
0: Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Mytinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Music for this podcast is provided by the laid back and local Throckmorton ukulele band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry Tart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com.